0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Starting today in verse 25, because that's where we left off last week. I like the fact that even though Thanksgiving and Christmas are approaching, we are at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, looking together at the events of that crucial last week that we often call Holy Week. Normally we study these things in the spring, right? It's a little strange to be studying these events at this time of year, but I think it's good, good for us. For, for one reason, there's never a bad time to read any part of the Bible. You don't have to wait for the approach of a certain holiday to read any particular part of the Bible. It's all relevant all the time. And sometimes you see things and hear things and feel things when you're studying it at an unfamiliar time, a less than usual time. And honestly, this part of Holy Scripture shows us what we should be thankful for and what Christmas was actually all about. So we're nearing the end of this theological biography of Jesus Christ. For 22 chapters and running, Matthew has been telling us and showing us who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for us and from us. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. The king and Jesus, King Jesus, wants us to follow him. But we've also seen that there was a group of Jewish religious leaders who did not want people to follow Jesus. They were called the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. There were other groups against him too, but the spotlight is on them. When Jesus came riding in on a donkey on that triumphal Sunday, these guys became indignant that He got so much praise. I'm sure they hated it when He tossed the tables in the temple on Monday. And then they confronted Him on Tuesday with questions meant to demean and belittle and trick Him. Questions meant to stop Him and get Him into trouble with the people and with the Roman overlords. But Jesus had questions for them. And when Jesus was done... There was silence. Oh, they hated him then. That same day, Tuesday of this week, recounted in Matthew 23, King Jesus began to denounce them in front of the crowd. Remember this? We looked at it three weeks ago. He said they were terrible leaders. They preached but didn't practice what they preached. They piled heavy burdens but didn't lift a finger to help. They loved honor but they never humbled themselves. And then, therefore, we looked at this last week, Jesus pronounced upon them, Woe. Do you remember this? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He says it seven times. I just can't imagine what it must have felt like to be there. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. It's so devastating. We learned last week that a woe is the opposite of blessed. Woe is the opposite of what we saw back in the Beatitudes. He began his first major teaching, major block of teaching with the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Here he begins his last major block of teaching with woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe is the opposite of flourishing. Woe means withering. means shriveling it means dying it means wasting away woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees with that one syllable jesus combines condemnation denunciation regret sorrow lament and heavy warning Woe! last week we studied the first four of the seven woes up through verse 24 Now this week we'll look at the last three woes and then the pronouncement of judgment that they have earned. Jesus calls them names. Hypocrites were play actors. They pretended to be something that they were not. And these religious experts, the religious leaders were experts at that, at play acting. They were imposters pretending to have a relationship with God, but it was all staged and phony. Jesus is going to call them out for some more of that in the last three woes. He not only said they were hypocrites, but he also said they were blind guides. They didn't know the right way. They didn't know what they were talking about, but that didn't stop them from leading other people in the wrong direction. They were the spiritually blind leading the spiritually blind. The wrong leading the wrong the wrong way. We said that hypocrites... And blind guides could be restated as the fake and the wrong. But here in verse 33, Jesus adds another name to call them. You think it could get worse than being called a hypocrite? You think it could get worse than being called a blind guide? Well, in verse 33, He says, you guys are serpents. He says... You snakes, you brood of vipers, poisonous, evil, like the devil in the garden. Friends, those are strong words. Now at the risk of being too cute for so serious a passage, I've titled this message, Fakes and Snakes, because once it entered in my head, it couldn't get out of my head unless I gave it to you. It just sums up the passage so well. These leaders were, according to the Lord Jesus, fakes and snakes, pretending to have something they did not and having something evil within, namely unbelief and rejection of Jesus. Let's pray together and then listen to our Lord tell it like it really is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the heavy words of Scripture. I don't always thank you for them. Sometimes I, I don't know what to do with them. Sometimes they're heavy and they're sharp, and I feel the weight and I feel the sting, the bite of them. But I know they're for my good. I know that all Scripture is God breathed and is useful. For teaching, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness and training in righteousness, so that we would have we'd be equipped with everything we need for doing your will. So, Lord, give us this heavy passage now. Give it to our hearts. We praise the Savior. We praise the King. This our song will ever be because we've been saved from this we know it. We pray in His name. Amen. These are some of the most solemn and serious words ever uttered. I would have hated to be present when Jesus said them. And it would have been even worse for them to be said over me. Let's learn from them. Verse 25 is the fifth woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you fakes. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee? First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. See how he's still talking about hypocrisy? He uses this image of a cup and a dish that he used back in chapter 15. When he was pointing out the errors of the Pharisees. They like to clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside. Why? Because it looks good, right? If you clean the outside of the cup and you put it on your shelf, you're like, nice cup you got there. I mean, who doesn't like to look good on the outside? We all do. You guys all look good on the outside today. Got all cleaned up, you guys are dressed up. Some of you guys have ties on, jackets, ladies in your dresses. Everybody did something to your hair this morning. Nobody came in. Uh, Anthony and I came in with our hair just like when we woke up. but And Dawn, you know. But the rest of you guys, I see you combed up. You look nice. Good job. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says these guys only cleaned the outside. And they didn't clean the inside. How'd you like to eat off a of tableware that's never been cleaned on the inside? And of course, Jesus isn't talking about tableware. And for the most part, he's not talking about whether they got dressed up for church either. He's talking about the heart. These guys were fakes. And that just steams him. You want to get Jesus mad at you? Be a fake. Do You remember the Sermon on the Mount? and how the kingdom of heaven is an upside-down kingdom. We talked about that a lot. What was the other thing we described the kingdom as being? Inside, out, right? Jesus wants us to be whole people, the same on the inside as on the outside. We saw it again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. But the Pharisees weren't listening to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not that they were outside-in people thinking that if they just did the outer conformity stuff, somehow it would get inside them and change them. Some of them might have had that idea, but it doesn't work that way. They weren't just outside-in people. They were outside-only people. Outside-only. They were making a good show, but they were fake. Their insides were, according to verse 25, full of greed and self-indulgence. Do you know anybody like that? Beware of spiritual leaders like that. They appear on the outside to be godly, but those who know them truly know that they're actually full of greed and self-indulgence. He's not saying that they were tempted to greed and self-indulgence. We're all that. He's not saying that they had occasionally given in to temptations of greed and self-indulgence. He says on the outside, they presented themselves as there, and on the inside, they were nurturing greed and self-indulgence. They were filled with it, even though they pretended all was well. It was obvious to Jesus that they were putting on a show. In verse 26, Jesus says, Blind Pharisee! There's that blind word again, that, that theme of wrongness. In modern parlance, Jesus is going, eh. wrong answer. This is spiritually wrong-headed. It's wrong to get all cleaned up and nice on the outside, but not tend to the reality on the inside. And then he goes on to an even more pungent illustration in the, in the sixth woe, verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law, and pharisees you hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean in the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness that's worse than a cup or a dish isn't it In this sixth woe, Jesus references whitewashed tombs. Why would you whitewash a tomb? Here's why. Because, you know, in the Mosaic Law, you know what happens in the Mosaic Law if you stepped on a grave in Israel? Unclean. Yeah, for seven days, you're unclean. Dalton and Peter mow our cemetery, right? If this rule was in place, they'd be unclean all summer long. So you whitewash the tombs so people will steer clear of them. It's kind of like caution tape put up. Don't walk here. And these tombs, these monuments, these mausoleums, they all look nice when they get whitewashed like that, right? Put a coat of paint on it. It's all cleaned up. Hey, not only do I know not to go over there, but it's really sharp. Hey, that's nice. They look beautiful in their own way. But Jesus says, don't let that beauty fool you. What's inside of them is dead. Jesus says that these scribes and the Pharisees were dead on the inside. With hypocrisy and wickedness. Now again, it's, it's not wrong to be clean on the outside. Nothing wrong with whitewashing the tomb. Fix it up, clean it up it's not wrong to attend to the externals but it is wrong to attend to the externals and ignore the more important internals i don't think we realize how fooled we might be by the pharisees they were the clean living people wearing the white hats they were the teachers of the law the teachers of the law were the ones who knew their bible they were the ones who preached their Bible. They were the ones who built their lives around the Bible. These were the Bible church guys. On the outside, they looked really good. They tithed. They behaved. They followed the law. They followed the law about the law. They followed about the, the rules about keeping the law about the law. I mean, these were the, they were the leaders. But on the inside, and it always comes out, in the end you know where the graves are, you know where the bodies are buried. On the inside, they were dead. Are you dead on the inside? Are you just faking it? I hope not. There have been times in my life when I have flirted with this temptation. It's hard being a pastor sometimes because it's almost like I'm paid to be a Christian. At least I'm paid to be an example of a Christian, it seems like. it. So the temptation is always there to just put on a show for public consumption. Facebook post here, Instagram my devotions, you know, telegraph, look at me, I got it, I got it all figured out. But on the inside, to indulge in whatever. But I want to be real. And Jesus wants you to be real. Get real. Jesus tells these fakes to get real. In verse 26, he said, First, clean the inside of the cup and dish. In other words, get real. Allow Jesus to cleanse you from the inside out. Attend to the inner you. Let me say that again. Attend to the inner you. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. Of who you are on the inside. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. A lot of people don't give much thought to their hearts. But King Jesus wants our hearts and wants to cleanse our hearts and change our hearts. So we need to attend to our hearts. We need to think about our motives. Why do we do what we do? We think about our desires. What is it that I want? And how how do I want it? We need to evaluate our affections and our loyalties. We need to ask ourselves regularly, who or what am I worshiping at this moment? And get really real about the answer. Because you see how Jesus feels about pretend religion. He thinks it's malignant. We don't have to be dead on the inside. The Holy Spirit is in the business of imparting new life on the inside. But we need to get real about our need for Him. Stop our hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. In the seventh and last woe, Jesus says that these leaders were lying. Not only to others, but lying to themselves. Look at verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. You are lying to the world and to yourself. And Jesus can see it. Here he builds off of that key word of tombs. You know, he just had an illustration about tombs. He he pulls in another one. Let's talk about tombs. I see you building tombs. These might be whitewashed or, or not, but they are set up by the scribes and the Pharisees to honor the prophets of old. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, not Elijah because he never saw the grave, but Elisha and all those other prophets of old. So many of the prophets have been killed, right? It's a dangerous occupation being a prophet in the Old Testament. Why were they killed? Because the people didn't want to hear their message. So these folks, Jesus' contemporaries, were putting up monuments for those old prophets. Remember old Daniel, how great he was? Remember old Isaiah? Woohoo! yeah. And they were naively telling themselves that they would never do anything like those thumbs-down kings and queens, like Ahab and Jezebel. That's them, not us. And at the very same time, they are acting just like Ahab and Jezebel. And Jesus says, get real. Come on, you need to know yourselves better than that. You are the children of those who murdered the prophets. You're just like them. Just listen to yourselves. Watch yourselves. You are testifying against yourself. Get real. And then Jesus drops the boom. Verse 32 Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. Go ahead. With his sad sarcasm and biting irony, Jesus tells him to go ahead and finish the job. It's all been adding up. Go ahead. Let it boil over. Verse 33. You snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? There's no escape for the unrepentant. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. The first Christian missionaries. Notice Jesus says he's sending them. And so upon you will come all of the righteous blood that's been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel in the book of Genesis. To the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar in the last book of the history of Israel, 2 Chronicles. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Jesus says it's all been building up and now it's going to boil over. Like for all these years, the the water's been on, on medium, it's just been boiling. And now look at what you're doing to Jesus, what you're about to do on this Friday, and what you're going to do to the missionaries he's going to send out. And the the heat is just going up and up and up, and it's just going to boil. And then you'll get what's coming to you. Within 40 years, within a generation, Jerusalem will be devastated, and the temple will be destroyed. Because these people and the people following them would refuse to listen and would reject King Jesus and his emissaries. Snakes, brood of vipers, full of evil and wickedness and poison. John the Baptist called them snakes back in Matthew chapter 3 and now his cousin Jesus does it too. And slithering around in the background is the serpent of Genesis 3. Because on the whole, they would not get real. They would not repent. There would be no escape. Jesus says, get righteous. Jesus is warning them to repent. With each successive woe, Jesus has been warning them of the unflourishing to come. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites, blind guides, snakes and vipers. Woe to you. And he knows. He knows that on the whole, they will not repent. He knows what's coming on Friday. They will not get righteous. They will not turn from their path. He knows. And so he issues the woes. And then he weeps. Verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. What damning words. But you were not willing. Don't let that be said of us. Jesus says if they were only willing, Jesus would gather them up and forgive them and take them under His wings. There's a there's an image for you, Jesus the mother hen. Come over here. Right in here. Think about the shelter of being under the wings of Jesus. Think about the compassion and the tenderness and and the safety, the security. And while you do, remember to keep your eyes on the ball. This is the Gospel of Matthew. This is all about who is Jesus, right? Who does Jesus think he is? Apparently, Jesus thinks he's big enough and strong enough and gentle enough to shelter Jerusalem under his wings. Notice he doesn't say that God wanted to do that. He says he has wanted to do that. And he also says that they were not willing not willing to get righteous. Not externally by observing the law, but internally by repenting of sin and trusting the Savior. Those are incredibly sad words, but you were not willing. Don't let that be said of you. Instead, receive Jesus. If you have not yet, now's the time. Because there is no way of escape for those who refuse Him. Jerusalem must learn that message the hard way. Verse 38, look. Your house is left to you desolate. Judgment is coming like that fig tree all withered on Monday. The house is left empty. The house is destroyed. The house is abandoned. Now that house there might be the house of Israel. The house might be the city of Jerusalem, its capital, which is going to be sacked in a few years. I think the house is probably all... All of that, and especially the temple itself. All three, but especially the temple. The temple stands for the whole. It's the house. It's no longer the house of God, though. What's he call it? He calls it your house. And it's empty. I think that Jesus is saying that in judgment, the glory is going to leave the temple. That God is leaving His home. And in the first verse of the next chapter, and remember, Matthew didn't put any chapter divisions in the original, Jesus himself turns his back on them and walks out of the temple. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Keep your eye on the ball. See the little pronouns? You will not see me, Jesus, again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had just sung these words from Psalm 118 when Jesus came riding into town. And Jesus is saying that they will sing them again when he returns. Many of them will have to say those words through gritted teeth. Grudgingly acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, but every mouth will confess it. The question is, will we confess it with joy and gladness and faith? These people did not, on the whole. There were exceptions. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. But on the whole, they were fakes and they were snakes. They rejected their king, The Apostle John tells the same sad story this way. He said that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So their house was left desolate. But John also says we don't have to follow their fate. John goes on to say, yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who receive Jesus, to those who are willing, there is no condemnation, but salvation in His name. To all who receive Him and say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord and recognize Jesus as Lord, Jesus gives salvation. In fact, He died for it. Jesus died to pay for our sins. He took the condemnation that we deserve and gives us the salvation we could never earn. This table tells that Gospel story. That Jesus turns even fakes and snakes into the real and the righteous if they will repent and put their faith in Him. If you are real and righteous, through the blood of Christ, you're invited to eat and drink the celebratory meal with us. If you are not yet real, or not acting righteous through faith in Jesus, then please let the plates pass you by and use this time to really think about where you stand with Him. This church invites you to turn from your sin and trust in the Savior. To get real and to get righteous because of what this bread and this cup stand for. To receive Jesus. Because to those who receive Him, become the children of God and get to eat at the Father's table.